Okay, good evening. We left off last week with an exercise, just to remind ourselves briefly. We spoke about the idea that sometimes we have this impression that real, genuine spirituality will always be tranquil and peaceful and serene. And then we find ourselves in a situation where things are hectic and it's stressful and there are pressures. I, uh, I could almost get into the mindset that this is taking me away from, from Ruchnius, from growth, from Avodah Hashem. And the, the main point of discussion last time was the realization that often it's in those moments themselves where we could actually thrive and excel and elevate ourselves in the Vodas Hashem. So the exercise was, sometime throughout the week, when we find ourselves in a challenging situation, feeling that this is taking me away from where I need to be, where I could be instead, accepting and embracing this particular moment, this particular reality, and reminding ourselves of the mantra, this is the day, this is the reality that Hashem is creating for me right now. Might not be super pleasant, but if this is where I'm at, this is where I need to be, and this is where I can excel in my Vodas Hashem, therefore, I'm going to rejoice. Anybody like to share the utilization of this mantra at some time? throughout this past week. And we actually have an email as well. Reb Chaim. So, during this past week, uh, when I sat down for the first time um, with my wife to review the finances, and I found out since, probably since I moved here, almost, anybody knows me well enough, I'm very meticulous to make sure that things make sense. And uh, it's starting to drag on quite some time, and I cannot make sense of the bank account I've yet to hear one person say, when we moved to Florida, within the next few months, we realized we were doing so well financially. <laughs> it was just a windfall. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I have an email here I received actually a few hours ago from, uh, from Eretz Yisrael. And uh, they write as follows. Last week was incredibly helpful and wanted to share a humorous anecdote. I spent a lot of time Erev Sukkot making Pesach. Why? Because the couple of months I spent in Boca some neighborhood mice apparently moved in to my house in Eretz Yisrael. 
to just about every room in my place. Weeks of take it all out, clean, put it all back, it didn't solve it. So Arab Sukkot, the kitchen cabinets needed another round. So when you gave us the follow-up assignment, I went into the kitchen and I realigned. With a big smile, I sang out your suggested Pasuk Zehayom Hashem. And I was literally astonished at how much better I felt. The annoyance, resistance, frustration was gone. Poof. I actually imagined a row of upright, smiling, adorable mice dancing on the counter. <laughs> and then I sat down to reflect on so many blessings that resurfaced. I have a kitchen, I have a home, and plus a billion trillion. I've actually been using the Zehayom system all week. At every sign of the small adversities that sprinkle through life, every word is so relevant now that you've shared the context. This solution has become like a trusted best friend, reminding me in a few seconds that all comes from my trusted best friend. It's beautiful. Who would have thought saying that one Pusik would transform having mice all throughout your house into envisioning them dancing in the cupboards? The, uh, the topic I'd like to jump into this evening is addressing the question, are we reactive or reflective? What does it mean to be reactive? Give me an example. I say something hurtful, or at least in your perception, it was totally insensitive. Reactive is, I just jump back. What's that? My initial reaction, my natural response, I just go with it. Reflective means I have the ability to almost step back from from this particular interaction or this particular experience and view it almost as an outside party almost like in the third person, where it's not really happening to me. It's as if I'm viewing it taking place between other people, and then with clear mind and seichel, I could address it in hopefully a more effective and responsible way. So for example, if a child says to his mother, I hate you, what's your response? I hate you more, you little brat. Hopefully not. But there most of us have the ability not to get sucked into the emotion of the four-year-old. And we're somewhat above that. We could feel compassion. We can feel love. And therefore, hopefully, we could respond in a in a mature way. If one spouse says, I hate you. That would be a very different dynamic, very different scenario. Now, part of getting into our own heads and trying to discover are we mostly reactive or reflective really goes down to a a core philosophical question, which it's much more than philosophical, but it's, it's very, very real. 
question that was expressed by the caterpillar to Alice. Let's take a look here at chapter 5 of Alice in Wonderland. The famous scene where the caterpillar says, Who are you? This was an encouraging opening for the conversation. Alice replied rather shyly, I, I hardly know, sir. Just at present, at least I know who I was when I woke up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. And again, the caterpillar, who are you? Now, if you've seen the movie going back many decades ago, he's asking that question as he's blowing smoke in her face. Something that you might not find in a cartoon that was produced in 2021. <laughs> so we have a multiple choice question here. Who are you? A, I am my body. B, I am my thoughts. C, I am my feelings. D, I am my neshama. E, none of the above. F, all of the above. It's bringing back bad memories of high school. <laughs> right, so how do you answer this question? Am I my body, my thoughts, my feelings, my neshama, none of the above or all of the above? What would you say, Reb Avi? No pressure. D? What was D? I am my neshama. Okay, so that's always a safe response. And we're well aware of the, the famous line, I don't have a neshama, I am a neshama, and I have a goof. Okay? And that's profound. It means that I'm not my body, but really I'm my neshama. I have a goof. That's the container of the neshama. But it's a little bit of a cop-out. But if you want to get deep, really into the way we think and the way we perceive the world around us and the way we identify ourselves, to say I'm a neshama is a little bit of a cop-out. And the truth is, can somebody bring me a raya? Can you bring me a proof that the neshama also might be somewhat detached from who I am? Somewhere in the liturgy. <laughs> oh, yes, it's a good raya, right? We thank Hashem for returning our neshama, the neshama that you've given to me. So, I, me, and my neshama, something you're giving to me, connotation seems to be that maybe I am something, I don't want to say different than the neshama, because it, it all stems from that spiritual source, but at least the, the I that's inside of me might be somewhat distinct from the neshama itself. So obviously I'm not in my body. Body means nothing. A person, Khalila, could lose his hand and he's still the exact same person. Am I my thoughts? Does it make sense to say, maybe I am the way that I think. If I'm thinking a particular way all the time, so that's who I am. Would that be reasonable? I think when 
beautiful. Right? If someone's losing their memory, they're, they're becoming confused, and their thoughts are not at all the way they used to be, but the person's still the person. The person is still the person. Am I my feelings? This is the way I feel, then this is who I am. I don't want to get into political conversations. <laughs> but am I my feelings? So hopefully not, because we feel all sorts of things all the time. Right? If, if, if I lose it, and, 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 I, and I start yelling, and then three minutes later, I'm asking myself, how could I have done that? It, it, th that's not me. What do you mean it's not you? You are your emotions. So not necessarily. I don't think that was an expression of who I really am. I was angry, but that's not me. And then let's say I'm, I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling satisfied. Is that me? Is that my essence? So it could be the answer. I think deep down the answer is I'm an ashama. That's the, the motor, that's the, the foundation of everything. But practically speaking, the answer might be none of the above. Why does it make a difference who we are? It's an interesting philosophical question. But I think it makes all the difference in the world because like the great Rav Isaac Sher tells us, Rav Isaac Sher, the Rosh Hashiva of Slobodka, he says, Borer l'kol, it is clear to everybody. Sheim ha'odem eni yodeya umakir es atmo. If a human being does not know and recognize him or herself, lo yoel lo limud ha'musr. We could be learning musr and working on ourselves and trying to change and to grow. But if I don't have a clarity as to who I am, nothing will really be helpful. Because it's not me that I'm working on. I have this false impression of myself. The only chance we have for real elevation, real aliyah, real tikkun hamidos, tikkun haneshama, is starting from likely one of the most important questions we will ever address in our lives, who Am I? Now, would we agree with the quote from Shakespeare? This above all to thine own self be true, and it must follow, as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Right? To thine own self be true. Or in the modern sprach, uh, be true to yourself. Is that something that we would wholeheartedly agree with? Not necessarily. Because the phrase, to be true to yourself, has a connotation of, really, it's all about you. Know who you are, know what you want. Be true to yourself. We're going to discover that in the Hashkafah Satorah, in the perspective of Chazal and Rishonim and Achronim and the Gedolei HaMusr and Machshava, we also very much believe in Da Es Atzmacha, knowing who you are, understanding yourself, having a true, clear identity. But there's a reason why. It's not just to be true to yourself. 
as, as an end, but being true to yourself as a means to an end. What is that end? To bring yourself closer to truth. So yes, be true to yourself, know who you are, be genuine, be authentic. For what purpose? Not just to be able to say, I know who I am. Who cares? <laughs> it's wonderful. You know who you are. Shkoyach. The point of knowing who I am is in order to bring myself closer to truth. I'll share with you a few lines here from the great Rav Shlomo Volba. And throughout our discussions together, we'll be referencing Rav Volba often. He writes, Hayodeyes Atzmo, once a person knows himself, then he's able to discover the derech, the path, l'sakeines atzmo, to uplift himself. Kim lo l'shem tikun, because if I'm not trying to discover my identity for the purpose of real tikun, so then, ma lo who cares about self-awareness? Yediyas atzmo shona mikol yediyah cheres she'odem yocha lirchosh. But he tells us, be ready for the journey because discovering oneself is a different form of wisdom than any other chachma we have in the world. Kol adam hano olam yuchad, we know every human being is really their own universe. V'hayediyah al olamo hapanimi and coming in contact with one's inner world, one's essence, the only person who could help you find it in reality is, is Dovi Apple. Or yourself. <laughs> he could be helpful. But the only way for me to discover me is through me. We could gain advice, and that's what we're doing right now. We're trying to get the hadracha and the guidance and the the strategy of our gedolim, but when push comes to shove, who knows me the best more than anyone else in the world? It's me. I can't turn to you to find me. So therefore concludes Revolba, Zohi avoda asher lefanenu, this is our avoda, this is our mission, this is our task. Umatov ki enenu tzrichim lishov tzivui das atzmecha, and he says this is not about taking the notion of knowing oneself from outside secular sources, like we explained, that might be coming from a very different view. Our avoda is, yediyas atzmenu, getting this knowledge of who we are in order to uplift ourselves and bring us closer to truth. So I want to try an exercise together. Right? Really teasing out Thinking, feeling, doing, who am I, where am I existing within all of these different things that go through my head. Make yourselves angry. Don't be embarrassed right now. Make yourself angry. N not at me. <laughs> this is so boring. I'm <laughs> But make yourselves angry. Okay, you're there, right? We're enraged right now. Okay, 
How did you make yourself angry? How do you do that? Anyone can make themselves look angry. That's the Rambam calls kas panim. But I'm not really angry. How do you really make yourself feel angry? What do you do? What was the trick? How did you get there? You remember something that made you angry in the past. Right? We won't tell him. But... <sighs> yes. Yitzchak, how did you get there? Same thing, right? Was anyone able to feel the emotion of anger without thinking of something that made you or that makes you angry? No. Okay. Now I'm going to try something else. Make yourselves feel happy. Right now. Feel gishmakasimcha. Okay, how did you get there? How do you feel happy? You don't have to go for it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> beautiful. See, what's happening here is, I think we're discovering that our emotions seem to come from our thoughts. When we're thinking about something, when I have a perception of what's going on right now, or remembering what took place in the past, or thinking about what will happen in the future, so then that brings on emotion. So machshava, right, thinking, brings hargasha, that brings emotion. Okay. Where do the thoughts come from? What's the definition of thinking I have here from the online dictionary? Definition of thinking, although Rabbi Meth has blocked the vast majority of what I can do on my computer, I still have the online dictionary. <laughs> so the definition is the action of using one's mind to produce thoughts. Doesn't sound like rocket science, right? Thinking is the action of using one's mind to produce thoughts. Okay. So that means that I'm the one who's creating those thoughts. And then those thoughts are creating my feelings. Okay, so I'm not my feelings because my feelings come from my thoughts. And I'm not my thoughts because thoughts come from, from me. So there's a me that's above and beyond both machshava and hargasha. There's the identity, my essence, right? It's Beferish in the dictionary. The action of using one's mind. Who's using my mind to, to think? I am. Who am I? I have no clue. But I know that it's not my feelings and it's not my thoughts because I'm in control of those things. Why do we usually think along a certain line if it's the way I perceive life, I once read a beautiful quote, you know, sometimes people say, you really have to calm down or don't take it so personally, it's all in your head. And that's obviously invalidating the way someone is feeling. But there's a realization that, don't tell me my thoughts are not real because they're only in my head. 
they're still very real. But they don't necessarily represent reality. Those are two very separate things. What I'm feeling is based on what I'm thinking, and what I'm thinking is actually happening. You can look into my brain and, and see those thoughts formulating, creating the feelings that I'm experiencing, and that's all very real. What's well, only happening in your head? That's true. Everything happens in my head. So feelings are true, thoughts are real, but they don't necessarily represent reality. What makes you feel any particular way when something's going on outside of you or around you? What makes you feel satisfied or content when you're standing at the beach? What makes you feel mad or angry when you're remembering that very frustrating uh, conversation you had? Is it the conversation itself that brings the anger? It's the perception of the conversation. It's standing at the beach. I'll give you an example. For some people, taking little children to the grocery store is an expression of Gehenim Ba'olam Hazeh. And you can make all of the conditions beforehand. There's no asking for anything. We're just getting what's on the list. Okay, okay, okay. Right? Then when you get there, I have a memory. This is going back probably, probably eight years ago. I was together with my wife. We had the shopping cart. In the shopping cart we had, Avraham at the time was about two and a half. We had Bracha, who was about four. We had Riva, who was six and a half. And we had them all together in a shopping cart going through some random grocery store in the middle of Detroit. It wasn't that pleasant, but that's one of my best memories I ever had. What's Pshat? Because that was going through, or after we went through the ordeal of being in the hospital there for a few months, going through the whole process of the bone marrow transplant, this is the first time that we actually were able to leave with the family and do something that was kind of normal. And there is, a, there is an overwhelming hargasha of hakaris atov. I'm just walking around the supermarket, and I have three kids over here. And we're outside of that very depressing setting. And we're in a different depressing setting. But it's, <laughs> but it's more normal. We're doing something normal together. So the, the feelings that I have are based on the thoughts that I have. The thoughts that I have are very much based on my perception of the moment. I want to take it one step deeper just to confuse us thoroughly. What are those thoughts based on? So let's take a look together. This is written by Rev. Isaac Sher, again, one of the, the great Bali Musser. This was his introduction that he wrote for the, the Sefer Cheshben HaNefesh. Cheshben HaNefesh is one of the very uh, insightful Musser Svarim that was published in the early 1800s and then it was published again based on the encouragement of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. And Rabbi Isaac Sher writes a brief introduction. Listen to what he says. 
Ha'ikur harishon hu havanas darche yetsiras hamachshava. The very first step in our avodas Hashem is understanding yetsiras hamachshava, which means the creation or the formulation of thought. Right? Because emotions based on thinking, but what creates the thought in the first place? If I don't recognize, if I'm not aware of myself, this is the quote we saw before, no matter how hard you try, if you don't know who you are, you're not going to really change. If we don't get to that point of sophistication within our own mind, of understanding how my thoughts are formed. If all I know about myself are my midos, basically the way I react, I know I have a problem with jealousy. I'm getting jealous all the time. I really have to work on that. I'm struggling with, with anger. Right? There's so many different things that trigger my kas. I have to work on that. How do you work on that? So says of Isaac Sher, we have to get a little bit deeper. Well, why do you feel that way? Because you're thinking something. Why are you thinking something? Where are those thoughts coming from? If all we know is the reactions, the midos that we have externally, we don't really know ourselves. And here he says something very deep, that midos, character traits, the qualities, come from a very subtle point in the nefesh. Translate that as the, as the intellect, as the mind, as the neshama, but it's coming from something very subtle. He quotes the Chovos Halavavos going back hundreds of years prior to the 11th century, where the Rebbe Nebuchadnezzar writes in the Chovos Halavavos, She'ikr ha'kol hu pikuach al machshava shebelev. The ikr of everything, the main point, the starting point is knowing and recognizing and becoming aware of my thought process and how I think and where these thoughts come from. If I could do that, then I understand myself. And then we might answer that very, very important question of, who am I? I'm not my feelings. I'm not my thoughts. What comes before even the thought, says of Isaac Sher? A subtle, fleeting, visceral feeling. And he gives an example. The example, he says, if we analyze the words of Chazal when they speak about the different great personalities in Tanakh, you have Shaul HaMelech, the great king who we know was jealous of David HaMelech. How do Chazal and the Gemara and Sanhedrin describe the feeling that led to a way of thinking about David and that eventually brought on the full-fledged emotion of jealousy, Chazal say, 
there was a sense that Shaul had of Chalisha's Hadas, like a sinking feeling in his heart. That was the very first step. He hears people speaking about what an incredible, brilliant Talmud Chacham David Melech is, and they're not saying the same uh, compliments about himself. The first thing that happens almost subconsciously is Chalisha's Hadas. Why are you saying, oh, you don't even know? But there's a, there's a feeling of, of just, I got punched in the stomach. That leads me to think about how inferior I am and how much better he is than me. And really, he's getting covered that I deserve more than he does. And if people only understood that he has these flaws and I don't have those flaws and I have other milas, or they don't appreciate my brilliance because they haven't seen me do this, they've only seen him do that. That's the, the thinking that comes from that first very subtle feeling. And then that thinking becomes a real hargasha, a real mida of kinda. Then I'm jealous. So says Rav Isaac Sher, this is the progression that we need to become aware of. I'll do something oftentimes based on a feeling. The feeling is based on my thinking. And the thinking goes back to something so subtle that I barely pick up on it consciously. Our goal is to figure out, okay, now we see at least conceptually this, this transition, this process that happens within our minds. But if I'm the one who's making myself think this way, and ultimately I'm even the one allowing myself or even making myself have that first very subtle hargasha that leads to the whole train of everything else, that means really I am outside of all of that. I'm outside of everything that's happening, this complicated cheshbin. I'm outside of that. I'm beyond that. I'm above it. I'm also in control of it. The question we have to explore is, so who is the I that's standing behind all of this that's really in control of this whole process? So will I be reactive? Many times I will be when I don't understand that my feelings are not me, when I don't have a clarity that even my thinking or my perception of what's happening is not necessarily me. I have all of these different things going around my head, oftentimes telling me how inferior I am or what a failure I am or making me second-guess myself and bringing up all sorts of strange visions and, and uh, complaints but all of those thoughts are not me. We're only reactive when we live in the illusion that everything that's happening, the noise and the clutter and the congestion inside my head is me. When do we become reflective? When can I actually take a step back, just like my four-year-old is telling me she hates me? It doesn't really bother me. I could still have compassion and, and, and ask myself, what does she need right now from me? We're only able to become reflective when we have the clarity that I'm not my feelings and I'm not my thinking, but I'm something beyond that. We begin to view ourselves and what's taking place, the conversation is taking place in our mind almost from a bird's eye view. Does this sound easy or somewhat complicated?
What's that? I think it's both. It's hard to, to retrain ourselves. So it's not easy, but it's very natural. It's natural because, like we mentioned a few times ago, everything we're trying to accomplish is not about acquiring or discovering something outside of ourselves. It's tapping into who we really are. So it, it requires a focus, it requires doing these exercises, but ultimately it, it's going to feel natural. And like Rav Isaac Sher concludes, the way to bring ourselves to a real menucha sanefesh, even when life is stressful, even when we feel overwhelmed, is through becoming reflective. We become reflective when we can view what's happening within our head like an outsider. So I want to give you the uh, exercise for the week. And that's as follows. How many times we do it, it depends on, on what we can do, what opportunities arise. But to try during a moment where I'm thinking something and I'm caught up in my thoughts, whether it's anxiety or it's depression or it's uh, resentment, to be able, Bishas Maisa, right there, as this conversation is taking place in my head, to be able to pull myself out of it and look at the thoughts, just become aware of what's actually going on, and to say, wow, this is what I'm thinking. These are the, the conversations happening, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's who I am. Right, so the first step to having real control over our lives is through having control over our thinking, our perception of what happens in life. The only way to have control over that is through first just becoming aware of all of the noise and all of the clutter that's actually happening within our own heads. Question? That could be confusing. <laughs> so listen, we, we always change, and that's really, you know, if, if we look back 10 years ago and feel we were pretty much the same people, that would be depressing. Hopefully, we are maturing, and through life experience, and through learning and growing, we're very different people. But no matter where we are in life, when we're 20, when we're 40, when we're 60, there is always the me that exists within, call it within my mind, that's able to perceive everything else. And even if our hashkafas change and we progress and maybe I'm not as obsessed now with football as I was when I was 20, halavai, that should be the case for many. <laughs> but, but it's just finding where I am, even though it's right now and things can change. But the first step is just becoming aware of everything, viewing it as an outside, as a third party. Question, Reb Chaim. So maybe the difference would be that if, if a person has always been in a state of really being aware of who they are and viewing everything, then they wouldn't necessarily say, well, five years ago I was somebody else, and today I'm somebody else. Just like when you see somebody who's losing weight, if you see them along the whole journey, you don't really tell them, oh my gosh, you lost so much weight. If you didn't see them in two years, then you say, whoa, what a transformation. So if a person's watching, 
Very insightful. I think that's a big part of it. You know, if we're never fully in touch with who we are, then this feeling of I'm a totally different person might just be based on the fact I didn't know myself then, and I don't know myself now. <laughs> that's a... Yes. Okay. Have a great night, everybody.